0: Hello and welcome to the Global Insights Podcast, brought to you by SPS, your reassuring partner in times of need. My name is Laura Woods, and I'll be your host for the series. And throughout this series, over the next few weeks, we'll dive into real stories, feature expert insights and thought-provoking discussions that should strike a chord with anyone who values safety, security, and the thrill of exploration. And I'm really looking forward to speaking to our guests today. Joining us is Carlos Francisco, an exceptional leader with over 24 years of global security expertise, known for his influential roles at Disney, Amazon, and now Meta. Carlos is not only a global security leader, but also an author of So You Want to Get Into Corporate Security. We're also delighted to have Rhett Waddell joining in on the conversation too. Rhett is global security leader at Meta and an army military police veteran. He brings extensive experience in government, international security and crisis management, contributing to Meta's positive culture and robust safety measures. And today's chat is a little bit different, as Carlos and Rhett will be addressing some of the questions posed by you, our audience, via social media. So I guess it's time to learn a little bit more about the ever-evolving landscape of corporate safety with the help of our wonderful guests. Rhett, Carlos, you're very welcome to... Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sorry we got you up so early. It is morning where you are. How are you both doing?
1: I am doing awesome. And I know, I know Rhett is always doing incredible. He is a morning guy. Uh, Though, just so you know, Laura, we're usually up at like 4.35 in the morning. That's how we operate. We have a global operation and all we do in Meta. So... Uh, we've been up for a while, the second cup of coffee, I think, right? Or what were you in the coffee mood? Today? Absolutely. Carlos.
2: Always good to see you, Laura. Uh, you know, I know this is going to be great. I followed your work. I think the SBS podcast and the global insight podcasts are, uh, are truly exceptional. So looking forward to contributing and yeah, for me, it's about lunchtime. So we, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to grab, a, <laughs> grab a snack, I think.
0: Uh, lads i'm so excited to chat to you about today we have an awful lot to get through but can i start carlos by asking you about your time with disney because this is before you worked in the security area so this is going back to the beginning of your career and how interesting it is that you found your path into the security sector you were a disney greeter back in the day
1: well so you know it's it's an interesting thing I, i started with the Walt disney company when i was 16 years of age and uh just to clear a couple of things. I started in the security piece of the Walt Disney company in 19 while I was going to college for criminal justice. So I actually started in security in 1997, Uh, but I did start with the company as a greeter and then uh, as an entertainer. So I was very close friends with uh, Pluto and uh, I was very (laughs) close friends with uh, the toy soldiers for the Christmas parades. And I was very close friends with the, uh, the reindeers that pulled uh, that pulled the Santa, so in the Christmas parade. So I, I did start in entertainment, but I, I I moved right into security right at nineteen years of age in nineteen ninety seven.
0: And was this a passion for you making the transition into security? Was it something that you had always thought of as as a kid?
1: Yeah, you know, like a lot of people, I got into it because a couple of my friends were in it, and I thought, okay, you know, it pays a little more than than what I was doing in entertainment. And uh, and I thought, you know, the the whole part of of integrity and honesty and and doing the right things was always kind of ingrained in me since uh, since I was a kid. So I said, you know, it's probably a good path for me. And long and behold, I loved it, and I'm still in love with it. And I'm so passionate about it, you know. And here we are, just like Rhett.
0: That's one thing that I've discovered through the making of this podcast. People are so passionate about their chosen career in security. And Rhett, you've had such an interesting career. Could you give us a whistle-stop tour from your time in the military right up until, I guess, your main responsibilities at Meta today? Tell us how it all began for you.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question, lauren and I, you know, I compliment Carlos on everything he said, but just to circle back to Carlos, I think the things that have made him exceptional as a 16-year-old or a 19-year-old, you still see today, right? It's it's a concern for others, it's a passion, it's a an availability, and I think those are some of the traits and characteristics that people like to align themselves with. Um, for me, I think I'm most proud of the fact that, uh, we just celebrated our 43rd wedding anniversary, Katrina and I, so I have been with her longer than I have been with any other thing in my life. And, uh, and the military was a diversion for me because I was ap- applying in, in the United States at local law enforcement, uh, doing pretty well moving forward in the, in the process. And she had been a Ford exchange student in Europe between her junior and senior year of, uh, high school. And she really wanted to get back to Europe and she didn't want to see me get shot in Los Angeles in, you know, the 80s. So what started out as a whimsical, let's do something for three or four years became, you know, a 22, 23 year passionate experience that, um, you know, I took the kids and Katrina everywhere that I could possibly go. We went on a company tours to Korea. We did 10 plus years in the United States. I served with the multinational forces uh, on several occasions and it presented me with a joyous opportunity to understand that my point of view and necessarily the United States's point of view is not the only point of view. So it's made for a very considerate, uh, evaluating well-rounded background. I think, I think one of the things that uh, Carlos and I've talked about is that multinational approach to things and that main street and wall street aren't necessarily always the driving forces. And I don't say that badly. Everyone has a perspective and a point of view, but there are, there are many ways to get a task accomplished, not necessarily just one way.
0: It's always so interesting to learn how people get to the careers they're at today and the different paths that they take. But back to today, and you might just explain a little bit about your main responsibilities at Meta.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So actually, you know, first of all, I get to work with uh, with Rhett every single day, and he's usually the most uh, intelligent guy in a room, which is kind of exciting. But Rhett and I both kind of lead the, the programmatic or the piece of uh, security, some physical stuff uh, on, on that as well, and security systems and the policies, procedures, the minimum standards of security within our data centers. So data centers now are like the 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 heart and the brains of the cloud a lot of people back then used to be like oh it's in the cloud where's the cloud well the cloud is data centers so we get a chance um, today to to protect everybody's cat videos and doggy videos but most importantly apps that are used internationally like whatsapp right that gets housed in in the cloud every video connection and phone call that's made through those goes through our cloud which is our data centers So I have the the great opportunity to protect all of that along with my good friend, Rhett. So um, throughout the world, right? We have different operations uh, everywhere and um, it's a heck of a lot of fun. It's great work, Um, but everything is made easier because, again, you know, I get to uh, hang out with amazing folks that know their stuff, so.
0: How many people are we talking about who would work in that specific area with both of you?
1: Yeah, um, well, God, I've never actually broken all that down, but as the entire team, it's got to be somewhere around 2,000 or so.
0: That's an incredible amount of people.
1: But we, but we have data centers all over the world. You know, right. we have data centers all over the world. So,
0: Rhett, what are some of the common daily threats that online companies such as Meta face? And when a threat does occur, what is the security protocol surrounding the threat? What's the first thing that, that you will do?
2: Okay, so we're going straight into rugby. I like it. Uh, the softball questions are done. So, I, you know, the first thing is, is just to piggyback on what Carlos was saying. I think I think one of the most fundamental things, and, and I can only speak, uh, I, you know, Carlos and I have had the ability to work with a lot of the other top five companies that do similar things that we do. Uh, it's easy to check our LinkedIn profiles and find out where we came from. One of the things that I really appreciate about working for Facebook and now Meta is that they are a very open and collaborative place to work. So security is one of four or five fundamental pillars that every organization has, right? Everybody has a logistics stream. Everybody has an operational stream. We've got facilities. We have the operators that that make the capacity run. Um, I think the great thing about meta, and as we look to some of the questions and some of the concepts about what are we going to look like in five or 10 years as as a security entity is the culture and the people drive the success of organizations from a mom and pop store on main street to, you know, a multi-billion dollar corporation with, you know, entities all over the place. Um, If anyone is on Facebook, you can go to the search engine, just like you're searching for, you know, Laura Woods, world renowned entertainer and host you can go and ask you know in the search bar oh, where are your data centers and and it will show you transparently where every one of our data centers are there's a a web page that's that's dedicated to those data centers it tells you about our involvement in the community how we're working with local law enforcement fire and emergency services blood drives you know putting together backpacks for kids that are going back to school the community aspect of what we do at every new site that we open and every site that we are currently at is we infuse communities with grants, we partner. Um, That is probably one of the most enriching and endearing things about going to work every day is I I go to work at Meta, but I'm still a part of the culture of the community that I'm sitting in. So what do I do every day? How do we respond to threats? Um, I think that's one of the questions that I have always answered kind of emphatically when I'm Interviewing, and when I'm talking to mentors, I still think the primary threat of any organization is an insider-based threat. Now, I don't mean that that Aiden and Laura and Tom are sitting in that studio intending for something to go wrong, and they're they're hatching a plot to bring down the organization. Uh, insider threats can be something as simple as opening an email that has a link to it with an unintended consequence that's going to give people access into your system that's either known or unknown. So there's the insider threat that's based on a mistake or an improper use of a procedure or a protocol. And then there's the insider threat where someone is really intending to do harm, you know, like, you know, the, the shootings at YouTube or some of the insider places where you have workplace violence and it leads to a catastrophic event. So the way that we manage those is back to the culture, right? We look our people in the eye every day uh, our security teams are not robotic ministers of process. They are a part of the team just like everybody else. They know everybody's name. they greet you when you come onto the site. Uh, you know, they'll meet you with a joke. you know, they'll say, hey, Birmingham just got there kicked uh, last week. you know, what's going on? How's it going? So it's a very engaging and and culturally meshed part of, the lubricant that makes our sites operate. Uh, I've probably gone on too long, Carlos. Can you help me out?
1: We definitely have a tremendous risk, Laura, and that we deal with every day. And um, to point out some stuff and how we see risk, it's not just the security stuff that we deal with. People think that that is the basis of everything that we do, but risks come in data centers in many different forms. And for us, an example is is we have a huge background too in emergency management and crisis management. And the reason for that is because you know, a lot of people don't know this, but very little happens in a data center. Uh, if you, I mean, everybody, please do yourselves a favor. Uh, do some Googling. In, in um, I own Corporate Security University, which we do a lot of data studies. You will see that very little happens at data centers, okay? But here are some of the top things that, that we focus on that I think are important. You talked about the cyber side and, and hackers, right? So hackers is something that we're focusing on. Uh, and I'll break down a little bit more what the future, what I think the hacking part is going to take, you know, it, what's what's going to happen in the future. But for us, we're focused on educating our security officers and the folks that are walking the ground every single day, like on mechanical issues. Because mechanical issues, we work in the risk aspect of things. And the mechanical issues that occur within data centers, like power stuff, fires. Uh, anything that has to do, we call it thermals, anything that has to do with water issues because it takes a tremendous amount of water power to run data centers. So we make sure that our security officers understand that that will be more costly for us than any other risk. So we we get them to understand that. The second, third thing for us is really making sure that our folks are well-trained, that our assessments are in place, that our maintenance are in place, Because if a lot of those things are not in place and working properly, then we lose compliance and we lose certifications. And those things are totally uh, important to the company. So we focus on what the company needs and risk. But of course, on the emergency management side, ice and snow, that turns off the power to most cities around the world. So we focus on how do we deal with natural or man-made stuff. You talked about maybe an active shooter incident or something like that. So we focus our policies and our approaches and our procedures, right? And our standards of security to focus on those as well. So there's a lot of things that happen in data centers. But because there's very little of uh we call the double Seven effect or some Spider man or like the movie Oceans Eleven, where somebody's actually trying to climb down the louvers and yeah you know, like those things are they're great for movies, uh, but they they don't really happen in real life, so we focus on things that are that are extremely important to the company, and it's risk based it's not some story that was told you know in some war fought in Afghanistan or Iraq, we focus on the risk for each one of our data centers at each areas of the country or the world. And uh, we go from there.
0: Carlos, you mentioned hackers just there. Um, Rhett, maybe I could ask you, I mean, how can we keep ahead of hackers and scammers? Or can we? I mean, are we being active or reactive in this day and age?
2: Carlos and I were, uh, were just chatting about this yesterday. And I think there's a lot to be done immediately with how your organization protects itself, what protocols are in place. Uh, is something as simple as not allowing people near the mainframes or the servers to any conference room or any laptop that can connect to your network. Do you allow external devices? But I think those are, are more of a 5% risk solution. I still think that, um, you know, Carlos will go into more detail on this later. But I think it's the combination of a well-trained culture that allows people to have conversations that might be difficult and hold people accountable in the most positive way possible. So I'll remember five years ago, Carlos and I were discussing an incident where an invoice came in to one of our very new administrative accountants asking for a payment. This invoice was absolutely identical to a actual invoice with one character's difference. And this very new person in accounting questioned it for a couple of different reasons. The invoice was out of time, it was out of sequence, and it just didn't, didn't, didn't feel right, right? So you can have all of the processes and the optical scan recognition codes, but it's that one person that didn't click on a link, that took it to the next person, that made a successful save and avoided what could have been a very costly Error, And it's those, you know, if you look at how many people you have on your team, you know, if you've got 17,000 people scattered across your organization, and they get 100 emails a day, that math is exponentially high on how much risk there may be. Now, Carlos will tell you how to avoid those risks and where to categorize them as low, medium or high.
1: I'll I'll do. Yeah, I'll do something like that. But but Laura, to be honest, you know, there's the future of what we do is really it's coming fast and it's coming at us at a speed that we're going to have to do a lot of work here very, very soon. And I I don't know if I can answer these things now. And, And Laura, please shut me up at any time because I'm about to geek out a little bit if that's okay when it comes to like the cybersecurity piece of things in the future. Is that all right? Please do. So let's get it. Uh, for me, I think quantum computing is really going to be something that, that, that we're going to fight and we're going to fight very soon. And the problem is that the like the cryptography methods that we have today, like RSA and ECCs, and for the people who don't know, uh, RSA is like the Riva Shamir Adelman encryption, the three folks that created kind of this type of public key cryptography, uh, which we use today, like in emails and, and all the digital transactions really, or even the the ECC, which is elliptical curve cryptography. And and that's used for, it's smaller, it's faster. So what's gonna happen is that quantum computing is gonna be able to be so much faster than those things that are in today. And a lot of security companies that are out there, in cybersecurity, we're going to have to work together to be able to fight this thing. It's no longer like, well, if you don't have an NDA signed with me, I can't work with you to try to figure these things out. And if you don't have an NDA and, you know, and it's going to be one of those things that security is going to have to understand that security should never be a company's leading edge. You know, security should be for all and we should start doing those things. So hopefully they'll start changing. But there's so many different things um, for example, we, we're going to have to work on like, algorithms and, and standards uh, for quantum-safe cryptography, which I think, I think is going to be really important to us. Uh, we should focus possibly on like, quantum like, key distribution, Q, uh, QKD, which is uh, it's an emerging technology today, Laura. And uh, I'm excited about it because it leverages a lot of this like, quantum properties in order to distribute the, like, these encryption keys. So, and it's going to be like the, you know, we got to start pushing for like quantum security professionals. I know we talk about cybersecurity professionals, but now we need to start pulling and and start getting people into quantum mathematics to really be able to fight the speed of these quantum computers. By the way, that they're working right now and they're housed in data centers, which is where um, Rhett and I reside. But like creating standards like post-quantum cryptography is going to be really important. It's being developed today. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. It's going to fight a lot of this quantum resistant algorithms for all the, uh, the geeky folks out there. Uh, you're probably hopefully getting what I'm saying. But yeah, Laura, it, there's a lot of stuff I could go into on the cyber future of cybersecurity.
0: Actually, on that note, though, Carlos, I get the feeling that a lot of people are quite fearful about the future of cybersecurity. Do you think that the public are becoming more tech savvy than we were, say, five years ago? You'd have to assume the answer is yes. But yet, there's still an element of fear there over what may lie ahead.
1: Yeah, I, there is. There is. But you got to understand. On the same side, there's people that are extremely intelligent doing everything to protect us as well. Right? Not only for us on on the, the, the data center side, the cybersecurity side, even the physical security side, but all over all over the world. So we're getting. Um, more and more educated with the public. And for the most part, I believe that the folks that are white hackers and ethical hackers, the people that work on our side of the house are really, really top-notch and they're ahead of everything else. Every once in a while, for sure, and you hear about them out in the industry, you have onesies or twosies that are extremely intelligent folks that are doing bad things. But for the most part, I think the field of cybersecurity, data security, um, the folks that are in it right now are top of the heap and they're extremely intelligent.
2: Rash, what's your take on this? Well, I couldn't say that I agree with Carlos because I don't necessarily understand all that stuff that he said, but <laughs> well said. I, I think, <laughs> you know, when you look at, when you look at, you know, what, what keeps, you know, John and Jane on High Street up at night, it's probably more of the, if you look at how, at the ransomware or at the, I put my information into my Publix uh card and I type in my PIN or my number every time I go shopping because I get points and I get a free loaf of bread every month and all of a sudden the and Publix is fine. But if if one of those databases find themselves uh hacked in some capacity, then you have Rhett Waddell, you have Rhett Waddell's address, you have Rhett Waddell's phone number, you may have Rhett Waddell's date of birth. And then given those things out on the market where other people can pick them up, then you start looking at an individual identity theft. So you couple that with some of the ransomware things that have been happening in the last four or five years. And I think those incidents will drive the field to improve their processes because John and Jane and Rhett and Carlos will demand that or they won't join those particular organizations. So there's a lot to unpack on that. But I think like your healthcare and your retirement funds and your vacation planning, the person that needs to be ultimately responsible for each of these is each of us and how we put our information out, where we put it, and how we hold those accountable that have it.
0: You've in part answered my next question, actually, Rhett. I was going to ask you some questions that came in from our listeners now via social media, and you've sort of answered this question already. Uh, one of our listeners is saying, looking ahead to the next three to five years, what would your top five concerns be? Carlos, you want to trade off?
1: Yeah. Well, for me, I think uh, I'm going to continue with the hacker side of things, Laura. You know, computers are computers, and we're getting smarter and learning. But it's as simple as exactly what what Red said is information security, InfoSec, our side of the house where somebody just sends you an email and you press the wrong link. I mean, it's going to be really as simple as that still. And that's, by the way, how most hacking are still done till today. It's not somebody sitting in their mom's basement, you know, hacking on multiple computers or multiple screens till today. InfoSec is the easiest way to get in. And that's usually through emails or something like that. So I think hacking for me, uh, it's still the top one. Rhett, your turn.
2: Well, I think, you know, mine is mine is always individual accountability, right? We allow thousands of people access into our homes, into our social circles, into our organizations every day. And I think it's just the requirement for a dialogue of trust and accountability that we're all doing what we can, not only for ourselves and our futures, but for our corporate health every day. So insider threat awareness and having a the capacity to have a little bit of a Teflon coating when somebody comes up and says, Hey, Rhett, you know, I noticed that you came through the main door and you held the door open for Carlos and for Laura. They didn't badge in. That's not our protocol. Can we go back to the basics? So, individual accountability and having a, a corporate culture that allows those kinds of conversations with dignity and respect.
0: On that note, when it comes to individual accountability, we're, I suppose, in an era of oversharing. And I'm wondering in five years time, will we have pared that back a bit? Will we no longer be sharing photos of our kids or our pets across social media? Or will that interest in that kind of content continue and bringing with it a level of security threat with someone stealing your own personal photos?
1: You know, it's a very human nature and psychological things that that we have to go through. And and, and I think social media as a whole has realized a a very acute point on how to get in and out of our minds. And it is important, not only psychologically, but socially for us to continue to share what we do every single day and have those relationships, regardless if they are online or not. And I think it's only going to get worse. The way that it's going to be done, I think, is going to be different. It's not going to be just pictures we're going to move more to videos we're going to continue to move more to lives we're going to continue to move more uh, to easier one button press and you're right on on you know the world wide web doing different things do i think it's going to slow down i don't think so laura i think it's only going to speed up the way that it's done and how the content is used is going to be a little bit different and a little bit more which by the way once again going back to cryptocurrency Like being able to use blockchain, the blockchain, which is used for cryptocurrency today, being able to use blockchain for blockchain for security itself, for Internet security. It's going to be it's going to be huge. So, yeah, I don't think it's going to slow down anytime soon.
0: Here's another interesting question from uh, another listener of ours. Uh, you might answer this one for us, Resh. The military has been using drones in operations for a while now, and we've also seen private security teams using this MO as well. Do you see this as a value-added tool in the security industry?
2: So I'll say no with a caveat. And, and the only reason that, I'm, that I'll say it is that I think the requirement needs to catch up with the use scenario. So I think the military is allowed to do a lot of things based on their ability to control jurisdiction and to have a team that is trained exceptionally well to a standard that everybody knows and is is implemented across the forces. There, There can be a use case scenario for a private security company or a private company. Companies use drone footage all the time commercially, right? They will have a commercial drone pilot that will map out their acreage for construction, for weather, for crops, for there's a a hundred different ways to use commercial drones. I don't think this particular question came with a commercial drone pilot license in mind. I think it's, I have 50 people on my force. I'm going to buy five drones and I'm going to put them up for a myriad of reasons. And that will save my patrol footsteps in going to do X. But I think while that drone may take the place of a fixed camera, there is still going to need to be a person on the end of that drone controlling it. And then somebody on the ground controlling whatever the scenario is. So drones, cameras, other things might be useful. I just don't think we're there yet. And I think the standard and the certification will have to get there before we are there.
0: You still need the manpower, essentially, yeah.
2: Yes,
1: absolutely.
0: Last question from one of our listeners here. Uh, Carlos, what are the biggest opportunities for the industry that can be seized upon right now?
1: Oh, wow. I think, uh, I think technology is one of the things that the industry is, is losing out on right now are people. Uh, and that's, by the way, not just in our industry, in the security industry. It's almost in every kind of service industry you see out there. We're having more of a difficult time and finding amazing folks that want to jump in. So for that we need better technologies. So what I think the industry needs to do is take AI to the next level. And, and artificial intelligence, to me, is just a sexy word. Uh, a lot of the stuff that's done is done in, a, in the back of uh, of somebody's house as they're, uh, they're trying to still QC, QA, a lot of like the camera systems, access control systems, intrusion detection systems, like all of these things. It's not really true AI. There's a lot of analytics in it, pixelity analytics and all these other things. We could get a lot better in that to where uh, it becomes more of kind of like um, an entire system that that is learning proactively and being very predictive, we can get better on predictive analytics as well we 're not there yet and're we're, again we 're going to need all these things because folks you know with people we 're just we 're losing it in our industry, and I wish more people were getting into it we 're just not so if we can at least hit on that bettering our analytics our predictive analytics making AI a true thing, not just something that we worked in, in, in the back of an office to throw up as software into these camera systems instead of you know, real machine learning. You know, I think that's one way for us to go, but we're going to have to go away from people sometime probably in the near future. Oh, and here's the other thing, too, last last but not least. It's a customer-centric approach. I think human beings are forgetting how to be humans. Uh, And security is very important because we are dealing with the toughest pieces, toughest parts, toughest people, you know, every single day. And we are just losing our humanity and how to be people and how to be able to talk to others. So you will see in the future, along with a lot of computers and technology, like classes or courses that are strictly about how to be a customer-centric security person, like how to be a human, how to talk to people. People are going to have to be educated on that because... Look, I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and now a three-month-old. And uh, even my four-year-old, you know, we have to make sure that the, the iPad iP- the is not in front of them, right? We only give them in very specific times, and then we cut it. But as soon as you pull it out, what happens? My four-year-old goes crazy. Ah, give me back my iPad. So what's happened is that everybody that's growing up right now in their teens, that's what they do. They've got phones in front of them, cameras in front of them, you know, computers, all this other stuff. So we're going to have to educate folks on how to be humans again. I think it's going to happen.
0: Thanks so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you today. And thanks so much for your insight and valuable expertise in this ever evolving sphere. Um, Continued success to you both and enjoy the rest of the day.
1: Thank you and the team. Yep. Awesome. Take care. Have us back anytime.
0: A big thank you to Carlos Francisco and Rhett Waddell for sharing their invaluable insights and expertise with us today. And it was really fascinating to hear their thoughts on security and leadership and, of course, the ever-evolving landscape of corporate safety, too. And you can dive into the world of corporate safety yourself if you would like to do so with Carlos Francisco's book, So You Want to Get Into Corporate Security, and it's a foundational guide for anyone aspiring to excel in this field. Carlos's next book is due to be published soon, offering even more insights into the realm of corporate security. And you can tune into his podcast, the Corporate Security University podcast, where he delves into essential topics and engages with industry experts, enriching our understanding of corporate security. So a big thank you to both Carlos and Rash for their time. And to you, our audience, thank you for joining us. We'll have another SPS Global Insights podcast episode for you very soon. But in the meantime, stay safe.